This is MD Roundtable, a show about collaborating and learning from other healthcare professionals from all over the globe. We are all so much more connected due to technology. I interview a variety of healthcare professionals from all over the world. We have so much to learn from each other. I'm Dr. Ted Thatchenkerry. Thanks for joining me today. Today's guest, we have Dr. A.B. Alreis. Dr. Alreis is an interventional pulmonologist with Advocate Aurora Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Alreis. Hi, Ted. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Dr. Alreis, I just wanted to start off with just a couple background questions. First off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you grow up? So, I was uh, born in Syria, in a city, Hama in the middle of the country. And from there, we went through with my family for a rough time. I lost my dad when I was seven. So my mom, she's the teacher, and uh, she decided to look for us, me and my brother. We moved to Saudi Arabia because she has better opportunity to work there as a teacher. And she really worked hard to get us to where we are now. So I grew up, most of my school time was in Saudi Arabia, and most of my childhood friends are from there too, and then uh, had to go back uh, to Syria for medical school in the city of Aleppo. And when I finished my medical school, moved back again to Saudi Arabia when I started my uh, journey with the special. I see. So Aleppo, yeah. I mean, Aleppo is uh, pretty famous just because of, you know, what was going on there with the war. Now, what year were you there in medical school? During the 90s, between 1993 to 2000. Okay. What have been some of your biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? I can say it's a challenge, but it's also a strength. The uh, ability to live in different countries to be like exposed to multiple cultures, dealing with being and not a citizen from the same country when you are growing up. Uh, all those challenges, number one, was hard in the beginning, but then a strength for the person. For example, when I went back to Saudi Arabia, I did my internship. Internship there is different from the internship that we have here in the United States. Those internships usually is a one year that you go three months rotations between different specialties. So you have to have at least three months of internal medicine, then three months of surgery, three months elective, and then three months of OB and GYN. Because the idea there is that it helps you decide what you want to do for the future. And it was really a very good opportunity for me to uh, go through all of those to decide what I want to do. One of the elective rotations were in anesthesia. And uh, that time I liked it. 10 weeks of anesthesia, learned intubation, other stuff. I was just an intern, but I have the chance to interact with anesthesiologists in the OR. That's how I went to anesthesia back there in Saudi Arabia. That's great, Abby. Yeah, it sounds like you've had to overcome a lot of challenges and hardships just to, you know, be where you're at. And I really applaud you on that and your persistence and perseverance. So I'm going to ask you questions about uh, interventional pulmonology. 
This is a fascinating specialty. I would call it a super specialty in pulmonology. What made you interested in dimensional pulmonology? So there was two major things that made me decide it. One of them, as I told you, when I went back to Saudi Arabia and then I did my residency, full residency in Sijia uh, between the 2002 to 2006. At that time, I was not able because you are a different nationality, not the same like Saudi mm -hmm. citizen. You are not allowed to sit for the boards and that's what makes us uh, non-Saudis to explore another opportunity, which was mainly going apply for USMLEs which is the exams that led you to be specialized in or practice medicine in uh, United States after training, as you know. So during my training, I finished those exams. And then when I applied for anesthesia, when I came to United States in 2006, it was one of the toughest positions to get in residency. And I had to go for internal medicine. And being in an OR for four years, knowing all those procedures, I had went to, to from internal medicine to pulmonary critical care, and then I figured out there's intervention pulmonary, which will help me get back to the OR. And mainly, mainly to feel that I am back where I belong to the OR, dealing with airways, more in subspecialty part that not only you are called for in regular anesthesia cases, but also to help patients. The second major reason was I had a son who born with tracheobronchomalacia and unfortunately he did not survive because of that for he was only oh six God, weeks so in the NICU and that would make me feel that I need to help a patient with airway difficulties. You can't imagine to be on the other side of the bed when you are a physician. We see the world differently. We speak with the patients as we give statements, we give solutions, we give answers, but we don't have the emotions. When you are on the other side, really that time you feel the value of somebody explaining things for you and also feeling how people deal with those major problems. Yeah, that uh, sounds like a very uh, hard uh, experience that you had with you and your family. So. I'm so sorry that you and your family had to go through that, Ebby. But once again, it shows me your character and your resilience and how you overcame that struggle to be who you are today. Thank you for sharing that. What has interventional pulmonology done for you and how is it specifically different than standard pulmonology procedures? I know robotic bronchoscopy is a interest of yours and I know you've been doing quite a bit of procedures with Advocate Aurora and bringing this technology to the hospital system. So please tell us a little bit more about what robotic bronchoscopy is. To answer that question, I think Ted, the best answer would be first to know what is intervention mm -hmm. pulmonary? Because the difference is it is, has two main branches. One of them is the diagnostic portion of interventions. And the second part was the therapeutic portion of procedures. And in the past, without the advancement of technology that we have now, all what we were dealing with was, I can say, more 60% diagnostic and 40% were more therapeutic. The reason was mainly when we discover cancer, it was late. With the new recommendations with the lung screening programs, 
also the early detection of any lung lesions that the burden of that type of lesions changed from being more in early detection. At that time, we were seeing the lesions, we were seeing the lung nodules, but we were not able to intervene when they are in a size, specific size that less than 15 millimeter, because the diagnosis at that time with the yield, with the equipment that hand we have was not that good. So you expose the patient for a procedure with the yield of a procedure of 50% to get an answer if it's cancer or not cancer. So with the advancement of the technology and the change in the perception about how we can reach there with different technologies from electromagnetic fields, from implementation of the CAT scan readings into a artificial intelligence computers to get more details, how we can get more specific information from the CAT scan to create pathways to reach those lung nodules. And on top of that, to invent a type of equipment, allow us to drive there. That's how the robotic bronchoscopy were born. With that now, I'm witnessing and everybody witnessing an era where we will see hopefully an early detection of cancer which will move the intervention pulmonary from the direction of being in the late therapeutic to the more diagnostic and you can see all the research focused on that because you want to get the cancer diagnosed on patients when they have a survival rate in five years of 95 percent compared to five percent so that's where the robotic bronchoscopy born with the ability to have precision and also reach because of the size of the catheter that can drive up to the fifth bifurcation of bronchus that before we did not have that ability with regular bronchoscopy. Yeah, the precision on the robotic bronchoscopy is, is just phenomenal. And just being with you and having seen it myself, I was just amazed of how you guys are utilizing the technology, like you said, for early detection of lung cancer. It is very fascinating and it's a very exciting field, as you would agree, you know, in pulmonology. A couple other questions, Abby. How long have you been working in this specialty? I started really by working in 2014. And uh, that, that year, I graduated from my intervention pulmonary specialist, like a fellowship from Cleveland Clinic. But uh, my interest and uh, my work was even during my fellowship in pulmonary, when I was able to use even some of my electives and also vacation time to do some electives with uh, my mentors from Cleveland Clinic, Thomas Gilday, Michael Mashuza, Francisco Almeida, and Joseph Sr. Those are like uh, four my mentors that each one of them gave me a lot of opportunity to learn from them. And also almost like when you learn one thing from each person that you meet, you can even echo in your head what they used to say when you're doing or performing a case as their wisdom words come out in your head when you're doing it. Yes, yes, yeah. It's great to have good mentors behind you. What's been the biggest surprise you've had in the last few months in this field? I would say as uh, last year, we had American Association of Oncology and Intervention Pulmonary. And we had an annual, annual conference that we attend. The uh, 
if you hear the word that said during that conference last August, for example, as you know, for any Chinese New Year, there's a different word about it, about like Tiger Year, the Mouse Year. That's Am right. I right? So the word was during that conference, Lung Nodule Year. Because really a lot of research from every step of either detection of on imaging to, as we spoke about robotic bronchoscopy technologies that coming out to the navigation programs that available now with a variety of different technologies with electromagnetic mm -hmm. or not. And the third thing was even reaching up to using AI during the performing the cases for cytology evaluation, like multiple companies now, you give them the slide from the biopsy, they put them in a machine, and then that computer analyzes for you the slide to tell you if there's high probability for malignancy mm -hmm. versus not. So see the spectrum of the research going around from all of those aspects, you will see how much investment going on with that research. So that's what is really not only me surprising everybody and the belief of the hospitals now and every health system on those technologies is really growing over the past six months or eight months, I'll say. If you look at Illinois and Wisconsin, yes. for example, there was only one or two robotic systems for bronchoscopy. At this moment, they, within six, eight months, went up to eight or nine. And that tells you the awareness that the, the hospital is having now to detect those early cases will all carry on in the benefit of the patients. Yeah, it's just getting so popular because it's so useful, like you're saying, and it's an extremely rapidly growing field. What percentage of hospitals in the entire country would you say have this procedure and technology available? So I don't think I have percentage, but more important, you can say the system was maybe in 10 hospitals hmm. a year ago, let's say. Now it's in 60 hospitals wow. at least. Yeah, I believe it. How do you, Ebi, continue to learn and stay up to date in this specialty? This is a growing specialty. When I was a fellow, for example, the day I was in my first year in pulmonary in 2011, I joined the American Association of Bronchology and Intervention Pulmonary. At that time, the members of this organization was around 60 people. If you look at that association now, I had the chance to join them as a uh, social media curator in the beginning. I was asked just to spread the word about intervention pulmonary using their social media accounts. From that point, we worked on with the membership committee on that and then educational committee. There was a lot of highly professional and really motivated people that I met through that, through Zoom meetings or personal meetings that we started from scratch to build up to now what we have a very, at least like 600 to 800 people who come to the annual conference that started wow. four years ago. With the COVID, of course, it went down as in person, but still active uh, even with uh, virtual. The opportunity even to work with people and meet them and connect 
that where I think it gives you a free information and free knowledge that help a person to continue learn and stay up to date in this specialty. And also being able to work, which is my dream, always has been, and I will continue doing it, the easiest way to spread knowledge, not only in the United States, throughout the world, with anything we do in intervention pulmonary. Because this is, should not be a private knowledge, it should be shared. And I'm working hard and still my dream to have more virtual or even online library for procedures that will allow people to use it as an atlas in case they are sitting in the middle of nowhere and they want to know what to do for that patient, at least if not giving them the technique, but to tell them that technology is available. Yes, and I know talking to you and seeing your YouTube videos on robotic bronchoscopy. I know there's a wide audience all over the globe that is interested in this, and I know they reach out to you as a specialist in this field. So that's great. A couple more questions, Ebby. What has been your biggest failure, and how did you learn from that to get to where you are now? I will say the biggest failure was, if I say failure or disappointment, was like, I want to be doing anesthesia. And it's an art. It's an art of science. And it's almost like you are a pilot. There is the takeoff. The airplane is really matching the induction yes. of anesthesia. The, the flying of the airplane continue flying while you are doing maintenance and monitoring. And then the landing matching the reversing and extubation. And as much as this sounds boring, but there is a lot of art in it. And from that, I learned a lot of things, which is, as you said, it's a challenge that you're not doing what you're supposed to do or a failure not do what you want to do. But it gave me the advantage of quick thinking because if things went on the wrong way, you are the one that have to be the calmest person in the room. You have to be the person who's thinking three steps ahead and also the person who will be making the decision in that short time. That one thing about anesthesia is not only, you never know when things doesn't work the right way. Sometimes will happen, but at the time, you should be prepared. The second thing that I learned from it, it gives you the opportunity, like any procedure list, if you think about a case you should do, that's what the anesthesia does. They prepare the things before doing the procedure. Because you have to be prepared for the failure before right. it happened to you. And the third part I learned from is the checklist. If you have a checklist, as you know, why is aviation is one of the most successful and least mistake in the whole any occupation? Because they have a regular checklist. They do it every time before any flight That's take right. off. If you implement that in your practice for any procedure you're doing, you will be saved multiple times rather than asking for something when things goes wrong without being prepared. I think this is where the challenge and the failure that I think I learned a lot from. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. What are some of the things you're passionate about now and that you're researching about the field right now? I wish I will have the time to work more with uh, artificial intelligence down the road because I think this is the future and uh, a lot of people and even physicians 
are scared of that as something that AI gonna take over jobs opportunities or that you will eliminate a lot of people work. I see it in different angle, be honest with you, because it is as you are opening almost as an invention of microscope. How much we were knowing about the other world of germs and bacteria before that. Did we know anything? We did not. I think the AI, even if it's going to take part of the job of some occupations, it's going to create more jobs with the amount of time that people will have in their hand to see what I can do more with it. That's my thoughts about it. Yeah, AI is a fascinating field. And I I think there's so much that AI is going to be doing in medicine to help patients in general. So that's great. Debbie, if you had to summarize for our listeners what interventional pulmonology is, what would you say? I would say interventional pulmonology is a one of the specialties that newly born, but growing very fast. It is a specialty that will help with the other specialties to give faster access for patients to have early detection of mainly cancer and help them having longer and better prognosis compare what we dealt with from 10 years ago. That's in short about intervention pulmonary. Ebi, what is the smallest size nodule that you can target using this technology? Let me give you an example first. Before we had this technology, when we see CT scan with a long nodule that it is one centimeter, or let me keep it in one range, 10 millimeter to 20 millimeter, we go with the feeling of 50-50% yield. And we tell the patient, is a flip a coin of a procedure. If it's negative, we still need to watch it and wait for it to grow. And we use that word. Now, we are going really after a nodules that they are between the smallest is seven millimeter, and we are getting answers from it. That's amazing. I mean, seven millimeters, folks, that, I mean, what can you compare seven millimeters to? I would say a P is that a P is like nine millimeter usually. So it's smaller than a P. I don't have another example of. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's tiny. even a P, like a 9 millimeter nodule or 10 millimeter, was not easy right. in the past at all to get to. Great. Well, Ebby, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I uh, appreciate your time. And folks, don't forget to leave a review of MD Roundtable Podcast on Apple iTunes. And please, I urge you to check out Dr. L. Reyes's YouTube channel, where he has some great content on robotic bronchoscopy. And don't forget to subscribe to his channel as well. Ebby, thank you again. Thank you, Ted, for having me.